1: Welcome to Real GM Radio. I'm Daniel Rue, your host, and so happy to have you with us for this episode. This is the continuation of the, I call it the Division Capsule Series, so that is a combination off-season review and season preview. This one is focused on the Pacific Division, and it is with the great Ben Goliver of the Washington Post and Seth Partnow of the Athletic and Stats Bomb. As a note, um, I'm, still in, I'm still in Europe, and actually fairly early in my trip, and so this was recorded after the LeBron James extension, but before the Patrick Beverley-Taylen Horton-Tucker trade, so obviously there will not be any mentions of that transaction, but there will be, of course, of a lot of other great things. This episode is brought to you by Athletic Greens. You can go to athleticgreens.com slash And you can check out everything there, and also you get a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs, which are awesome, using them right now. You'll hear more about them later. And our friends at Bed Online use the CLNS50 promo code to get a 50% welcome bonus. Of course, you'll hear more about those later, but first, hear more from Ben and Seth right now. Thanks so much for coming on.
2: My pleasure, Danny. Great to be here. A joy as always, Danny.
1: There's a lot to talk about in all of these off-seasons, but I actually think in certain ways there's less in the Pacific Division, partially because a bunch of these teams are good, and when good teams don't have a ton of flexibility if they've already spent it. But even though we're not releasing this on the day, I figure we might as well start with the news of the day as we're recording this on August 17th, which is LeBron signing a two-year extension with the Lakers. So that is a basically... He's committed to the 23-24 season and then has a player option for the 24-25 season. Ben, what's your read on that?
2: Well, I think it's pretty noteworthy for a couple of reasons. First of all, he's not giving them any kind of discounts, right? So he's taking care of himself first. He loves that mantra, keep the main thing the main thing, and, and supposedly winning is the main thing, and yet he re-signs with the Lakers after a disastrous 33-win season that led to the firing of their coach. You look at the off-season; they have no major additions, which I think we can get into later. They lose probably a guy in Malik Monk who's better than any of the guys that they added, and they still haven't traded uh, Russell Westbrook to this point, which was one of those situations where it's like look the front office had one job they haven't done it yet so it's pretty interesting to see that LeBron would recommit given all those circumstances especially when he's in this battle for championship rings and Steph Curry just pulled even with four and you look ahead to next season and the Warriors are much better positioned to get Steph number five than the Lakers are to get LeBron number five so to me this is starting to say hey look LeBron's entering the uh, honeymoon type period of his career, you know, kind of coasting towards the finish line, wanting to make sure that he's comfortable with his family, uh, wanting to make sure that he's cashing out every last possible dollar and, and kind of maintaining his off-court empire in Los Angeles. But, you know, he, he's kind of set himself up in a spot where it's difficult to see them really truly being contenders at any point of this, uh, you know, of this extension which could potentially carry him through his 40th birthday. The other interesting notes though, he's got a player option in 20. 24. Um, you know, that summer is when Bronny will be draft eligible. His son who's 17 and a high school star right now. It's also the same summer that Anthony Davis has a player option. So there could be a lot of flexibility. And I think basically we should look at the Lakers as a two year experiment. And then everything could look completely different after that.
0: I I don't really have much to add to that. I, uh, uh, the, 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 sort of the, the, so what else is happening in the summer of 20, uh, 24 joke, uh, was was taken off taken off my plate by Ben. But mm-hmm. um it seems like the interesting thing is is some of it there seems like there's been reporting that the Lakers willingness to part with their twenty seven and twenty nine draft picks were somewhat contingent on LeBron re signing, which kind of doesn't make a ton of sense to me. Uh that, that was that was contingent, but if it is, now those those picks are are are, are seemingly available now, so that the uh Guess the, the Russell Westbrook sweepstakes can commence once again.
1: Well, and, and that's the thing that I wanted to talk about. And inevitably between when we recorded this and when when we when I release it, I'll have my piece out at this presumably at the Athletic about the other big ripple effect for me of this, and Seth was just getting into it, which is the Russell Westbrook part of it. Because now there had been a possibility, albeit a faint one, that LeBron James and Ben mentioned this too. Could take less he, even if he wanted to stay with the Lakers. He could take less money in twenty twenty three, and then it, whether it's through full board rights in twenty four or you know just you know being forty years old and wanting something different. Going from there. And so that would have given the Lakers potentially an opportunity to wield cap space because they have Westbrook's expiring contract. LeBron then would have been expiring. And then the only other the only guaranteed money on their books is Anthony Davis. And then if Taylor Horton Tucker picks up his option, but they could move him probably as a negative asset unless he has an awesome year. And now the Lakers, unless they're moving Davis or James, they're going to be an over-the-cap team in 23. And so what that means is they have to resolve the Russell Westbrook situation at some point between now and let's call it July 15th, 2023, because the problem is now if he expires, you aren't gaining any real spending power with that expiration. So you could theoretically recreate that with a sign and trade, but that requires another team, A, wanting to play ball, and B, wanting to sign Russell Westbrook to a big enough contract, or you trade him before the end of this contract. And that could be August 17th, that could be September 1st, that could be at the trade deadline. It does like From that perspective, it, it doesn't matter a lot in terms of the utilization of the resource. And so what you're doing there is presumably one of two things. You're either trading for a player or players, because not that many guys make as much as him, that have longer contracts, because then you're just kind of kicking that can down the road in a way sort of similar to what the Warriors did with D'Angelo Russell a few years ago. Or you're getting players whose contract expire, but that you actually want to re-sign, And so then you're using the space with bird rights and all that fun stuff. And so... It, it, as Seth said, if that opens up the opens up the coffers a little bit potentially for Kyrie Irving, which is a move that I would support if the Lakers' goal is to win as many games as possible in the twenty two twenty three season. Like Kyrie Irving is a very good player; he's probably the best player available, all, even with his flaws. And so, and and it also to to some degree it makes sense to me for the Lakers to have. Put that sort of an ultimatum, because that's a lot to give up for like a one-year thing. And maybe now with LeBron under contract for another season, let's say you trade for Kyrie. Maybe it's not a one-year experiment. Maybe it's a two or a three-year with him.
2: Yeah, you got to make the trade Uh, this year. There's no question. You got to make that extra pick available to get just a maximum value back from uh, just Westbrook's salary slot. I mean, Anthony Davis and LeBron together next season are going to be making like 86 plus million dollars, right? Not this coming season, but the following year. So you're really going to be you know pretty tight next summer, even if you have all these minimum guys kind of filling out your roster. So it's going to be real tricky for the Lakers to build a winner. And I could see the temptation for them to want to chase that big three model and just kind of hope that somehow that puts them back in the mix for uh you know some of these uh, buyout guys like in the middle of the season or you know some of these guys who are ring chasers and kind of build their roster that way because otherwise i just don't really see a path back to contention for them so um i guess lebron's extension is probably bad news for westbrook if he wanted to stay in la um you know one way or another the clock is just ticking even more loudly than it already is the other thing a reason to put that pick in. And go for it here in the next couple of years is I don't know if you guys agree here or not but Anthony Davis has not shown the ability to accept the baton from LeBron as like the face of the Lakers the franchise guy that number one option and this idea that you know it, it kind of reminds me of like Kobe handing it off to Dwight well that clearly backfired even worse than this current version but um, if I'm the Lakers I'm not really thinking too much about three four five years down the line and how I'm going to build around Anthony Davis like Anthony Davis I to me is not good enough to be a number one player on a title team. He's perfectly cast as the best number two option in the NBA, but he's just taken so many steps kind of sideways and even backwards these last couple of seasons. I think it's all about going as far as you can with LeBron and then probably just, you know, pulling the plug pretty hard after that and starting fresh rather than trying to imagine like a five-year run with AD as the number one guy on a title team.
0: I'll add to that, that it's not just the the skill level, but I mean, he's never been an Iron man and, you know, the, the little injuries keep piling up. And as he moves into his thirties, like, I don't think we, we should expect that to decrease. Um, the only, the only problem with, with that is that, um, uh, you know, you, you go all in now and pull the plug later. Well, you're at, out uh, presuming that they need to attach draft assets to move Westbrook. To get anything like reasonable back, and maybe even to get nothing reasonable back. Um, now you're out, you know, four, or five picks, multiple swaps, what, what have you, um, in a situation where the cupboard is basically bare. I mean, right. the, their young player pipeline is Austin Reeves. I like Austin Reeves, but you know, uh, maybe maybe Lonnie Walker turns into something, but it's like. We're we're talking like a a nets level, nets when Sean Marks took over level rebuild. And (laughs) you know, Sean Marks I think has demonstrated that he's one of in terms of assembling talent, one of the very best GMs in the league and the Lakers have what they have.
1: Right. And one other quick kind of note here. Somehow the Pelicans deferral right in 24 or 25 just got even more interesting because (laughs) so basically they can choose between at the point, let's call it after the 20, the 2024 lottery. They can say, do we want this pick or do we want the Lakers pick in 25? And presumably that point will be before the option decisions for both LeBron James and Anthony Davis, but it might not be very far before. And also we have no idea this presumably the LeBron extension makes their 24 pick worse. Because, so that makes the comparison a little bit more stark, depending on, you know, like, this is something that came up with the Sixers this past year. Like, you're like, oh, they, well, they could be worse. You don't know that for sure. So that'll be another another wrinkle here. But I agree with Seth in terms of the pipeline. And that's the the Lakers haven't been a... Always the most patient rebuilder, though it, it ended up working out reasonably well that they cashed that in a lot of that for Davis at the time. and But it's so much harder to do when you don't have some of those assets. And that also, like the, you brought up Brooklyn, that's uh, likely affecting Brooklyn's decision-making right now with whether to tear it all the way down with a Durant, Irving, and all that trades, or do something that's a little bit more modest because they're not getting all the benefits of that teardown because their picks half of their picks roughly are going somewhere else.
2: Well one option would be to play out this coming season, see how it goes, and then potentially trade Davis and try to re you know, re uh, reclaim some draft assets that following year and a team maybe would trade with it trade for him with one year left on his contract well, and, and, with the intention of re signing him, right? And
1: Ben, that's my question is what does Anthony Davis want at this point? Like let's say it's looking like to me like you talked about the two year window like that's what it's going to be and lebron could continue to defy all basketball gravity and still be a great great player at 40 but they unless they have some real fines they get a ton for westbrook they have some success in the drought like they they technically have well they have their own, they have a pick in 23 we just don't know if it's theirs or new orleans And so, like, maybe you do something there, but odds are Anthony Davis is going to be choosing between being a part of a Lakers team without a ton of championship upside unless he is that upside or being somewhere else. And what does he, you know, like, Ben, you and I talked years ago about the, the concept of basketball mortality, and mm-hmm. LeBron James is, you know, facing that to an extent right now, the glide path into, into retirement, it looks like, or at least into the brawny phase before retirement. And Anthony Davis, like, he's, so he's going to have that player option right around his 30th birthday. There aren't right or wrong answers, it's just about him being honest with himself about what he's looking for, but I genuinely have no idea.
2: Well, he's so hard to read. I mean, I think uh, I, I'm going to have a column coming out pretty soon where he's just basically the NBA's forgotten superstar because of the injury issues that Seth mentioned, because it's just been so underwhelming ever since the bubble. He set that bar so high during the bubble playoffs, and then he's just basically kind of disappeared. I mean, he didn't even make the All-Star team last year. This is a guy who made it every single year since his second season, and he didn't deserve to make it because he missed so much time, and I, you know, I didn't really feel like his effort level and his leadership ability this past season was nearly where it was uh, during the title year for the Lakers so I do think he has a lot to prove I feel like this is kind of a crossroads season for Anthony Davis I mean of course he's going to be a Hall of Famer you know that's kind of already uh, secure but the great guys do it over and over again right or they get their teams back in the mix again and again they have this insatiable appetite for winning and I think that's really what we want to see from Anthony Davis in terms of going forward like the only other rumors we ever heard about him was you know Boston really being thirsty for him for years and years than the possibility of maybe like a Chicago homecoming for him. Uh, But I think it's too early to get into that stuff for for now. I think it's probably at least a year away. But I do think that is the one uh, kind of emergency uh, escape hatch for the Lakers is a Davis trade where they just continue to ride out the LeBron era for as long as it goes. And it reminds me a little bit of I don't know if you guys have seen the, the Derek Jeter documentary, uh, you know, with, with the Yankees on ESPN. But there's a, a line in there towards the end where the Yankees start to treat Derek Jeter more like a product rather than a player. And they're just trying to sell tickets, sell jerseys and maximize and squeeze every little last bit out of them in, in the last couple of seasons. And I feel like that's where we're headed with LeBron. Father Time scoring some points on LeBron this past year. I did not think it was a very impressive season for LeBron defensive effort wise. Uh, he missed a bunch of time, kind of banged up, nicked up. But, yeah, I didn't think he was an All-NBA player last season, and I don't really expect that to turn around in a dramatic way this coming year. I'm pretty low on the Lakers. I, I don't. I mean, unless Davis has an incredible season, I'm not sure they're going to be able to survive the play-in and, and make the playoffs. And I can easily see a scenario where they make miss the play uh, the play-in entirely. So uh, you know, lots of big questions, and that's why it's so interesting that LeBron was ready to recommit to the Lakers. He didn't. Have have another better plan in his back pocket, like he's had so many times over the course of his career? I, uh, so. I'm going to go a step further.
0: I don't. I. I don't really see a path towards relevance, really, for the Lakers this year. Um, like Davis, has Seth, had,
1: Seth. Very quickly, how are you defining relevance here?
0: I, I. mean, I think that. Um. You know, top six. Like I don't. I like. I best case. Like I'm. Like reasonable. Struggle, cha-
1: reasonable chance to win a playoff series. Reasonable chance. Oh
0: no! 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 They're not yeah. going
2: to win a playoff series. <laughs>
0: no, I mean it's it's you know they're they might they might scrap into a in spot, but. I, I think the limitations that we've discussed uh, for Davis, not just, you know, in health terms, but in terms of his game, um, he, you know, he is essentially the reason why he's like the, the, the like platonic ideal of the second best guy is he's never, maybe, maybe in the bubble he showed because of his jump show, shooting was, was kind of so outliery relative to his career. He's never really shown the ability to be a ball in hands shot creator at any any sort of volume or efficiency and uh, you know as lebron maybe ages out of being able to to be uh you know to be an every down back as it were um there's no one else on the team who's ready to take on that well no there's no one on the team who's else on the team who's ready and able i think uh, i think uh russ is, has shown he's perfectly ready uh and willing but um uh, so you know where do all those possessions go to die offensively and then on the other side they they come into the same problem they had last year where I noted from the start of the season last year that because of the talent around him, they asked so much of Davis defensively that he was it was just inevitable that he was going to break down and break down early in the season. And I don't really think that they've addressed that side of the ball really at all this offseason,
1: have they? Not a whole heck of a lot. I mean, they used the... Taxpayer mid-level on Lonnie Walker, who has not exactly yeah. had defense as a part of his repertoire so far, and he was on the Spurs, a team that can ask that of players. It's not like he was in—I don't know. I guess I'll go throw those strays at Sacramento, um, of a place that hasn't always had that reputation, and their minimums so far have not exactly, you know, been stalwart. I mean, Thomas Bryant is an, intri- is an intriguing talent, long you know, long ago former Laker, but defense is his biggest weak point, and Damian Jones is intriguing. But... A he's limited and B like he's not scheme versatile so okay what are you gonna what are you gonna do with that they don't have great point of attack defenders maybe Troy Brown can step into a little bit of that but again you're asking out of a minimum guy so yeah it's hard
2: yeah I mean you know if we're talking about defense JTA want to Anderson's probably their best defensive pickup right in terms of guys who could actually play real minutes and when it came time for the Warriors to really win games was he even on the court at any point in the playoffs you know I mean
1: well okay I I have a question for Seth, just very quickly, yeah. Let's say they give up two first for Kyrie Irving. Does that move them into the relevance? Like where? Where? Wh- like because we're talking about this in the abstract. Maybe by the time this is out, something will have happened. Like, do you think that moves the needle enough for them to justify it? Or actually, does, does how does it move the needle? Then whether it justifies it or not is a separate question.
0: I mean, that almost strikes me as a little bit of a funhouse mirrors version of the Nets. I mean, you have you have kind of at least two star, probably three stars who there are going to be continuous availability questions about and then um i think the nets especially in in kind of uh, not necessarily this past season but the season before had pretty interesting supporting cast um you know they're uh you know i think i actually the loss of jeff green probably hurt them a fair amount last year but um like the lakers just like like their gap filler guys are austin reeves and and juan toscano anderson that's you know in 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 the western conference that's that doesn't seem like enough does it
1: no it does not and I think that team...
2: Seemed... Go ahead, Ben. I think the, the better reason to do that trade and the reason why I would do it for the picks, it's not actually to do with is it going to raise their ceiling on the basketball court. It's just to free yourself of the Russell Westbrook misery experience, which completely consumed the franchise last year. And look, you could be trading one flavor of misery straight for another with Kyrie Irving. I mean, it's not like anybody in Brooklyn was all that happy based on his uh, impact on and off the court last season. But... that they just needed to trade Westbrook this summer one way or another like it's just it hangs over the whole franchise he's getting booed at home games nobody's happy nobody really trusts him late in games because he's so erratic it just and and he won't change his personality he's so um, you know single-minded kind of putting it on the coaching staff in his exit interviews and all that stuff It, it just was a complete failure and if you don't make the trade and you can't find any other way to move Westbrook you're you know it's just the definition of insanity you're running back stuff that won't work and i just think for everybody especially the fan base uh it's worth doing it just to change the story and to you know kind of have a fresh start um if they don't it's going to get miserable quick um you know with the lakers and i promise you the coaching change like if that's the plan to kind of lighten the mood and get everybody on a new direction uh, it's not going to work whatsoever and it's no shot at darvin ham it's just an impossible task for any coach i mean trying to say oh westbrook needs to play uh you know, all world defense and he needs to be, you know, like kind of take on a different role offensively. I mean, you're dreaming. It's just not going to happen. He will not adjust. Uh, you know, don't be silly. Just, you know, be savvy about it. And move on.
0: Uh, so a counterpoint to that is, uh, like you say, you, you, you might be trading one flavor of misery for another. And is that swap? I mean, if, if you've kind of built in, OK, we're just not going to be good this season. Like is is how much of you know 8 months of comfort are those two <laughs> uh, are those two out year draft picks worth to you as a franchise now i, I the, the, the i guess the, the the counterpoint to that is the people actually making the decision are probably rightly thinking. I don't care. I'm not going to be here when that
1: matters. So, lots. Hey. Oh, oh, god. Why well, can't I remember the name of that? I, I've talked about it a lot. Moral hazard. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Lots and lots. Well, of, and also,
2: those people who are there right now have to live it day by day by day. And I just cannot stress enough how rough it was. Like I was lucky enough to just like pull the plug in March and go watch Chet Holmgren, you know, play college basketball games. Like, hey, why not? Like, but LeBron has to deal with Westbrook every single day. Like Rob Palenka has you know, the coaching staff. Has to deal with Westbrook every single day. And I think you could easily get to Thanksgiving. And the idea of two first round picks, it's like, oh, yeah, like we won't give anything uh, to get ourselves out of this spot where we were all of last year. So um, I'm also a huge Kyrie Irving skeptic, by the way. Uh, this is mostly an argument to get rid of Westbrook at all costs, as opposed to, yeah, sell yourself on Kyrie, turning everything around. Um, you know, personally, it'd be worth it for me. Uh, you know, and, and uh, I think mental health should go a long way in these decisions. <laughs> Yeah. because everybody yeah. was in a rough spot last year.
0: I mean, isn't there like a third solution? Which is just like you know, I we we we've, we've seen plenty of of okay, we'll still pay you, but go away. Like yeah. that
2: well, and oh, like a John, like a John Wall, or are you saying like dump him to like San Antonio or something?
0: No, 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 like 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 a you know like a like okay, well, it's we people are asking for two first round picks, and and that we're not really getting much for those first round picks, but we can't have this guy around, so like it, it seems like that the, that middle course might actually be
1: yeah, yeah or, or just they, or you do that for six months and then when the dev, but you keep him on the you don't you don't cut him you keep him on the roster and then maybe yes. a trade right, materializes right, right.
2: right. yeah yes. I, I love i love that strategy too i mean that i think that would work the problem is they haven't really they don't have any depth at that spot like a lot of the moves that they made this summer didn't like prepare them for the possibility of westbrook not being out there because the one thing he was last year was durable and he played way too many minutes so who fills all those minutes with With this group, I mean, you're asking Horton Tucker to do a bunch. I mean, you know, a lot of these guys who don't really have a ton of ball handling ability or creation ability. So, yeah, to me, they're kind of damned if they do, damned if they don't. Because if they do send them home, they're probably happier, but they're also, you know, probably missing the few things that he actually does for them.
1: Plenty more to talk about with Ben and Seth, but first a message from Athletic Greens. I have been taking Athletic Greens, wow, it's about six, seven weeks now, and I, I started taking AG1 because I was looking for a healthy morning routine and something that was easy, something that I could remember, and I've liked it so much that I've taken it with me. They have some nice travel packs to Europe on this trip. It's a small micro habit with big benefits, one thing you can do every single day to take care of yourself and you are investing in all-in-one nutritional insurance is one way of putting it. And as I mentioned, they have a bigger thing that you can have at home, and then you have travel-sized ones, and I brought the water bottle to have the right the right amount and all that type of stuff. So what you should do is you should check out their website. So to make it easy, Athletic Greens is going to give you a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. All you have to do is go to athleticgreens.com realgm, R-E-A-L-G-M. Again, that is Athletic Greens, A T H L E T I C G R E E N S dot com slash real GM to take ownership over your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance let's get into the the kind of the basic questions that I like to do for the offseason here and we can start with Seth you know for the Lakers Clippers Warriors Suns and Kings who of that group do you think got better in the 22 offseason and who do you think got worse
0: um I think that it, it's tough because you're you're sort of your your prompt for this was sort of to not include injuries so he can't do that well Kawhi is going to be back so that's like a whole new signing But I think if especially if you kind of fold in some of the trade deadline stuff that that the Clippers did last year that I think was pretty obviously with an eye towards this year. Yeah, I I think they're the obvious answer.
1: Yeah, and and especially something that I really liked about what Lawrence Frank ended up doing with the Clippers is John Wall gives them an out at the position that was the biggest potential pitfall because Reggie Jackson has had some really nice moments as a member of the Clippers, but they didn't really have anything else unless you're going to go no point guard, which they've done at times. You want somebody else there. And I mean, we don't know exactly what John Wall we're going to see this year, but now you have something, you have another option there. And so if it works out, great. And... Losing Hartenstein is going to hurt them, but the Clippers' second option to at center is not playing a center, something they do all the time anyway.
2: Yeah, I mean, I think they're winners because they have lined up basically five wing lineups that they can play, which are just going to be nightmares for everybody in the postseason, right? All experienced guys, all versatile guys, all guys who can play multiple positions. You've got enough size you can probably get by rebounding, and you can play five out lineups pretty easily, uh, you know, built around Kawhi, Paul George, guys like Batum, Morris, everything else, Powell. I mean Covington. Like they have so many wings, it's pretty awesome. So I do think that they probably improved more than anybody just by the virtue of getting Kawhi Leonard back healthy and also taking care of their business in terms of bringing Batum back, not letting him kind of get poached like some of the Warriors guys got poached this summer. Um, I think that they're lined up on paper. You could argue they're the deepest, most interesting roster, even more so than a team like Boston potentially. Um, but of course, the, the Clippers have been known to be kind of paper. Tigers sometimes where uh, we get our hopes up and then one guy drops off and another guy drops off and pretty soon they don't look quite as amazing what about Sacramento did Sacramento get better as well like meaningfully I keep looking at their depth chart and thinking it's kind of like the best top 10 Kings lineup that we've seen in I don't know 10 years in a while I mean they've got like proven NBA professionals at an awful lot of spots they grab Herter they get Murray in the draft Um, not sure they're going to be able to guard anyone I mean it's been a huge problem for them. Them for a long time but they should have a really potent offense I'm not like gonna sell the Kings as uh, some sort of a playoff contender or anything like that but the bar is pretty low there in Sacramento and I feel like they improved too
0: I I think they're better but but as you're sort of hinting at kind of to what end Um I you know it's it's I, I heard a player I like and I think he he fits Sacramento I'm just not sure that it's much of a needle mover in terms of, of giving up future future draft picks for. And I'll, to answer your question, I, you're not sure they're going to be able to guard anybody. I'm pretty sure they're not. <laughs> I'm going to go ahead and say I'm sure they're not. I, I think I wanted to go back to one other team you mentioned. I actually uh, – like, yes, Golden State had some of their, their kind of support players leave – I like the moves they made to replace them. Um, Like, DiVincenzo was, when he came back from from the the, the foot injury, was bad last year. He's bad in Milwaukee, which is why they basically traded him uh, basically for nothing. Um, And he was not much better in Sacramento. But still, he's a a hard-nosed, versatile player who... I think you know is is the kind of of backcourt player who we've seen have success in the postseason, and he he had you know he, I don't think he really got a chance to to show having success. He got hurt so much in the in the Buc- early in the in the Bucks championship run, but then I think Jamichael Green was a, was actually a really savvy addition. Um, I one of my worries that that I that I sort of had have had about the Warriors lineup is the fact that after Looney they get small real fast, and I think that 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 Green while well, not a true center in any sense of the word can can uh, can and pantomime as one um, better than, than Bielitza could at least
1: yeah, it's interesting. I, I think that there were some people who saw Jamichael Green's addition as a replacement for Otto Porter, and I think of it more for Bielitsa, just because Green is more of a four five. Porter was kind of a three four. I mean, it gets nebulous with the Warriors all yeah. the time. I,
0: I, think, and I think, I think, I think Kaminga is really the, the 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 projected Otto Porter replacement. I agree. Right? You're, I agree. You're sort of clearing the way for him. I think he can, you know, as being you know much younger and presumably healthier. I mean, I think adding. Maybe not the the sort of the nous that that <laughs> Porter had amassed, but well, a and, lot more explosiveness. Well,
1: and and Seth, I think you're you're well positioned to articulate this better than I am. Do you want to describe, since it's been a few years for people, the sales pitch for Dante Divincenzo before the injury?
0: I mean, he's a, a, a backcourt player who can who can play a little one, play a little two, can shoot a little, can defend multiple. Is a a very good. Um, uh, uh, you know, at at a screen navigator can can is strong enough to play. Probably can't guard traditional fours, but can at least hold his own against um, you know, threes that aren't like Kawhi type bully players. Um, so I I think that that's you know, in terms of someone who fits in with the word, and also a very uh, you know, someone comes out of Villanova, so uh, you know, for lack of a better term, knows how to play basketball, which I think we've seen with the Warriors is a pretty important uh, indicator of, of having some success to be able to make the kind of reads that they require of players to be able to to you know think on the floor the way that, that uh, someone has to do to fit in Steve Kerr's system.
2: He's going to get the best shot he's ever had in his career, right? And I think that he's going to have a pretty simple offensive role for them, right? It's just like, you know, knock it down if you can and then play hard defense. Um, what I liked about the Golden State Warriors offseason was that they kept Looney. I felt like it was a reasonable number for both both sides you're talking about some of their front court depth issues they never really got tested last year because Looney was playing 82 games and basically had perfect health the whole way Um, obviously he had some injury issues earlier in his career when you're trying to make it through the slog of like defending your title and you know uh, trying to maybe keep minutes off of some of your guys over the course of a regular season like any depth you can add behind him is huge Um, but I just thought that he was their top priority I think it hurts to lose Gary Payton um, and you know it reminds me Reminds me a little bit of the Lakers losing Alex Caruso, where it's like, I don't know if that's the guy you want to get cheap with. Uh, Maybe just pay him and and swallow it, even though it's going to get expensive. But um, the fact that they were able to take care of their top priority in Looney, I think it sets them up pretty well. They have a bunch of young guys who are going to be able to handle some more minutes. Um, Danny, I'm curious, though. I mean, James Wiseman's summer league experience, was that a winner or a loser for Golden State?
1: He showed more flashes defensively than I had seen from Wiseman at any point before. But they were few and far between. Like it was early, so you're like, "Oh, damn!" Like, look, look at this different thing. But then, over the course of it, the, some of the pattern recognition stuff wasn't great. I think to me, he showed enough to be like he'll be a backup center option. But the it, it, it will take evaluation over the course of this year to see whether he is even eventually the heir apparent to Looney, much less the dream that he's going to be a significant upgrade, which is why Bob Myers took him second overall. You know, like, that's the idea. But you don't need to worry about the sunk cost part of this. You just evaluate the player as he is right now. And What I'm intrigued to see over the course of this year is, can the Warriors use Wiseman's, like, his catch radius and some of the different things he can bring offensively? Like, does he develop enough of of a chemistry with Steph Curry, with Draymond Green, that you can start to see the outlines of that? But part of what I loved about the Warriors getting Kavon Looney, so it's this three-year deal, last year partially guaranteed, is... A, it's a reasonable number, and B, it's multiple seasons. So if James Wiseman doesn't work out, so if this, if this season ends up being not only like, oh, he doesn't play very well, but you don't think a year or two or three from down the line, he's going to be your center. You already have your center, and you have him, you have him paid, and you have all that worked out. So, I'm, I still, you know, the, I, I was somebody who had Wiseman second on my board. I do obviously regret that now. I was, you know, I, I don't expect him to be a better player than Anthony Edwards any point in the future. Like, it's not something that I see. But he has the physical tools to be a capable starting center at some point, even if he's not that player now.
0: I thought you were going somewhere very differently when you said if they can use, I was thinking you were going to say if they can use his salary slot to fill in holes. That-
1: <laughs> oh, yeah, that, that, could, that could be a factor as um, well. I... I-
0: I, I honestly think that they're they're um, I don't know it worked out it like they won the title last year so so maybe I can't I have to uh, come off of this a little bit but I think that like if there's an Achilles heel facing like the Warriors kind of coming into the season I think it's like a little bit of the hubris that they can that that Wiseman will be fine for them yeah um, I mean I think they, you know I th- like. For where they are as a team, like yeah, he'll be maybe in three years he'll be as good as Kevin Looney is now. It's like okay, I don't care. Mm-hmm. Like, we, like we're gonna win titles the next two years or not at all. So. What are we talking about three years from now?
1: Right. And there's there's also the logistical challenge that is his salary and the timing of it, because Wiseman making 9-6 this year, 12.1 next year, and 2324 is a real challenge for this ownership group. I mean, we don't know what their limit is firmly, but 23 is when Andrew Wiggins will be on a new contract, wherever that is, where Draymond Green might be on a new contract, where Jordan Poole will be on a new contract, and it's possible that all that pain is going to be kind of localized to 23-24 because then Clay Thompson's money comes off the books and maybe he's willing to take less, and so then it can work out from there but are you really willing to stomach 12 million of James Wiseman in 2324 if he's not your starting center and having that 12 billion on costs you 30 or something like that
2: yeah, I mean, I'm just kind of adding my voice to the uh, the choir that is maybe down on Wiseman's short-term impact. Uh, I thought from summer league he was moving just a little bit slow on defense. Didn't you know he, he wasn't as mobile as I was hoping for from a player of his stature. I do think he's showing the effects of of some of the injuries. Whether he's not back to 100, percent maybe he looks better by the time we get to October and November. But uh, to me, you know, he's the kind of guy who you eventually want to be closing games for you as the five, right? And I don't see that coming up this year. And as SS- that's hinting, you know, it, it could be a while. It could be after Looney plays this entire contract before he gets displaced. and That, you know, it, that is the definition of kind of a sunk cost and a and a mistake. So that part is tough. But I think overall, I mean, are you calling Warriors winners based on how they survived, kind of everybody trying to poach them, how they kept their important pieces, and how they have young guys um, kind of in the wings to to fill in some of the gaps?
0: I, I would. I think. I think that that you know the the they are getting the benefit of as as someone who was advocating like, okay, trade Wiseman, trade Moody, trade Kaminga, trade a version of them to upgrade the team last year. They, they, uh, they didn't do that. And, you know, it all worked out for them. Now they probably get some of the benefits of, of, you know, having uh, Kaminga having got real experience coming into year two. Um, I think, I think Moody could do some things to help replace, uh, uh, you know, Gary Payton. Um, so I think that, that they have, you um, I, I think wisely I mean I think that that based on on some of the stuff Danny was just talking about from a, a salary perspective I mean if 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 Gary Payton is getting kind of you know non-tax mid mid level level money that's that's you know that turns into 20 25 million a year like effectively for for the the, the uh, for the Warriors, and um, I think I'd rather roll the dice on 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 Moses Moody. Stepping forward in, in in year two and getting a little bit of a bounce back from Dante Divincenzo than I than I would from a you know a late twenties Gary Payton running back what was by far a career year.
1: The other dynamic for the Warriors that's important for to kind of keep in mind with them is so they're going to be obviously leaning more heavily on Kuminga Moody and likely Wiseman than they did last year. Wiseman in part because he didn't play at all last year and but they are in this circumstance where it is both important for the front office and the long-term planning of the franchise to understand what those guys are but also they are not insanely high leverage for the Warriors fortunes in the 22-23 season itself. So, how Steve Kerr, how Bob Myers manages that is going to be really important because part of what you're doing here is you want to you want to have the best at the points the better, you want to have the best lineups on the floor, you want to maximize and I mean the Warriors have a obviously a credible chance to defend their championship you also at that same point are leaning heavily on these guys because you need to see what kind of role you're expecting. And it isn't necessarily you need Moody or Kuminga or Wiseman to be a starter right now. I mean, if they do, that's great. But it's, do you see the outlines? Where is this going? And also, in certain cases, especially for me with Jonathan Kuminga, offensively and defensively, what are those outlines? What position is he best defending? What is his best role? What can he do? What What can't he do? And it is a good place to be. In some ways, the Clippers have some of this with their young guys like B.J. Boston or Brandon Boston, I think he's going by now, and Terrence Mann, where they're like now they're going to be in a, a different ecosystem now that presumably George and Kawhi Leonard are back. But with the Warriors, it's like these guys have these guys have high draft picks, they have real expectations for the future, and you could say the same to pool to the extent with Jordan Pool, but Jordan pool's has already done it where the other guys have not. Well, Seth, let's go. Let's go back a little bit to the Kings. Uh, something that struck me about their off is, I mean, you and I have talked about this a little bit on Real Jam Radio in the past, but it's like. Okay, Keegan-Murray is a separate thing. We'll talk about him in a bit. But they, you, they're they kind of their two biggest additions other than Keegan-Murray are both shooting guards who can't really defend any other position if you're counting it that they can defend a single position. And considering I, my inclination is that neither one of them is going to start because they're going to start Fox and Davion Mitchell, how does this work?
0: Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um. <laughs> No, I, this is, this is, you know, the some of the pieces kind of thing. I mean, it's, I mean, t- for starters, like Fox and, and, and not, not, not to go outside the question a little bit, but the starting, like your two best players are odd fits together, I think. And like the, just the oddness kind of flows from there up
2: and down the, up and down the roster. Can I make the strongest argument on behalf of the Sacramento Kings that has nothing actually to do with the Sacramento Kings? Absolutely. I I think they're winners by proxy of the Victor Tankoff, right? I mean, you get Utah, San Antonio, potentially Oklahoma City, Houston. I mean, there's going to be some really bad teams in the Western Conference this year, and I feel like it's more really bad teams than there usually is. So I think that they have a pretty hard floor. You know, like they can't can't really be worse than like 11th their 12th, right? Um, they're going to be trying. Fox is going to be out there trying to put up numbers. Bonus is going to be out there trying to put up numbers. They've gotten a little bit older in some key spots. I thought, uh, you know, of all the rookies we saw in Vegas, Keegan Murray is older than a lot of the other guys, but he looks like pretty plug and play, ready to go, ready to give you some rotation minutes. I don't think he's going to score as much, nearly as much as he did in Vegas, but he looks like he can just handle a pretty big role and not be a complete disaster uh, from day one. So you add all that up you know like lakers versus kings like which roster would you rather have for the coming year you know i think the Kings.
1: wow the
2: well no i mean am i crazy to say that obviously the lakers are are more talented at the top
0: but who's deeper the oh, K- boy this that that is that is a that is a real if, if, uh,
1: if you ever if anybody ever needed a case for why bob palenka should not be in charge of the lakers anymore it is the question which team is deeper the sacramento kings and the and the los angeles lakers being a credible question
2: well, the Lakers won three more games than the King did last year, right? So you're expecting to do a little bit better if you get more from Anthony Davis. I understand that, but I think the Kings are ready to make a little jump this year. I'm not saying it's going to be incredible. I, I, I don't remember if I said the Spurs as well. I mean, they're they're definitely coming back to earth and right. Yeah, I mean, teams. So you know, they're going to have a pretty hard floor, and uh, there's going to be a lot of wins available for a team that's just you know generally trying every night, even if they can't guard anybody.
0: I, so I, I think that that your your optimism sort of rests on um everything you said about keegan murray in summer league is true uh i am i am just um as a rule short rookies being not disastrous as rookies no matter what kind of numbers they put up um it's just you know track record has shown us that that rookies are bad and so maybe you know there's there's a couple every year and maybe he's he's a guy who 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 bucks the trend and is is able to, you know, score efficiently and defend credibly enough to to at least not sink a floundering ship further in that regard. Um, but I think that that's, that, that's sort of a little bit of a triumph of hope over experience, which, uh, I guess is a, is, is a useful kind of preseason mantra for Kings fans anyway.
2: Yeah. They may be out of hope already. Um, <laughs> so they may just be ready for that. I'm not trying to say these guys are going to be incredible. Yeah. I just think that they're going to be right in that, like borderline play in mix, maybe have something to, to, uh, you know, get excited about probably lose that first play in game. Uh, but you know, they'll call it a step forward because they haven't had anything close to you know that much excitement in practically what 20 years at this point yeah Uh, i guess sorry
0: i guess i guess the reason i'm so like you're absolutely right i guess the reason i'm so like meh on that is i want to like contrast that with another team that i feel like could end up in a similar sort of spot and that's detroit and it's like you look where look at the you know the experience and ages of the pistons top guys and then you'd look at that with sacramento and it's just like you know, that like, this is too far into DeAaron Fox and D Sabonis' career for them to for, for them to be plucky might challenge for a play in <laughs> spot being like an ex an an a uh A reason for celebration even with even accepting kind of the franchise history that makes that like well this is better at least
2: you know No, totally I mean there's no question which team's core you would rather have there's no question which team like who's going to win more games three to five years from now like obviously that's going to be Detroit as well Um, you know this is just judging the Kings by their own standards and on a one year like (laughs) relative to last year uh, expectation not rooting for any executive of the year or owner of the year awards uh, heading to northern california anytime soon unless it's the bay area so i don't know maybe we're just grasping for straws <laughs> here but uh, uh D- danny do you see what i'm saying though in terms of like the depth of their roster like i mean it was a little bit of a jab at the lakers but if you know they take malik monk they add that to a bench it's a proven piece like you know i mean i think yeah like lakers- the Lakers are going to miss him. You know what I mean?
1: Yeah, I, I think it's the, and, and Seth has written about this well, including in the mid range theory, that it's like the number of guys who can actually play. Like the Kings actually, if you don't think about fit and you just think about could this player be a viable part of an NBA rotation, they're doing better than usual, for sure. And they also have some interesting young guys, like if, if, Kata can take a step forward or something else I mean did you also have Rashawn Holmes still on this team so maybe and you could also move him for somebody who maybe at a different position trade a big for a small and and make it work but yeah they have they have guys who can play and so they can get into that and if they can get a better season from somebody like Terrence Davis or Trey Lyles just to fill out the rotation a little bit like there if the threshold is like can play NBA minutes then I think they can get there but Ben I want to I want to follow up with the well, biggest well, uh, go ahead no
2: that's what, but on that real point real quick imagine if if LeBron, AD, Harrison Barnes, Rashawn Holmes, and like Kevin Herter was the Lakers starting five. I mean, oh, I would that's be a, so that's, yeah, that's I a title contender. So much higher on the Lakers that ESPN would have them installed as the number one seed in the Western Conference. Right? Like, sorry, Warriors, your reign is over. Here comes the Lakers. So, I guess what I'm getting at is like players three through eight on Sacramento. Like, I'm taking all those guys before I'm taking anybody on the Lakers roster.
1: Yeah,
2: that, that, that's Austin Reeves dismissal. But other than that. Yeah,
1: so. <laughs> Plenty more with Ben Goliver and Seth Partnow, but first, a message from betonline.ag. BetOnline is the fastest and easiest way to wager on all your favorite sports, contests, and events, with first-to-market odds and lines. Find reviews and news of every league, including Major League Baseball, NFL, NBA, NHL, combat sports, esports, and even golf. BetOnline continues to be the top online resource for all of your sports information, from live in-game betting, props, and futures, so... Use our promo code CLNS50 to receive a 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. You can head to BetOnline today or use your mobile device and make your first sports bet and reminder to use that CLNS50 promo code to tell them you came from us, but more importantly for you to get you a 50% welcome bonus on that first deposit at BetOnline, where the game starts. Uh, but so, Ben, where I wanted to go is the other big move that happened in this Pacific Division, the offseason, was Phoenix. And James Jones played, and and Sarver to an extent, played a game with DeAndre Ayton. ends up being that he comes back on a four-year deal with no options and no apparently no trade kicker. How, you know, like as as kind of how do you feel about the situation and the resolution there for the Suns moving like now and moving forward?
2: Well, I do think we need to go back to DeAndre Ayton's pre-draft interview where he was asked in New York uh, you know, at a media day before the draft, what's your kind of goal for your NBA career? And he answered a little bit too honestly, I want to get a second contract. Just an amazing all-time uh, admission from a player. I'm just trying to get paid, basically, is what DeAndre Aiden said. Nothing about winning, none of the lip service. And so I think it was kind of hilarious that he had to wait as long as possible to actually get his second contract. You know, sitting through the whole season when everybody else got the extensions, and he didn't. Um, it's going to be weird. There's no question about it. I don't think it has to be like a locker room breaking thing. I think sometimes people get a little bit too melodramatic about the idea of like, oh, you know, I was snubbed by my organization. They didn't really trust in me. I mean, it kind of goes back to that Gordon Hayward uh, situation in Utah where he leaves as soon as possible. Um, I just think kind of in general, uh, I'm not really a DeAndre Ayton guy. I think he's fine. I can understand why a team would be hesitant to pay him a max contract I think that you can probably get 75% of what DeAndre Ayton does for 25% of the price and certainly Phoenix has had a lot of success with you know budget centers um, filling in for him at various times or playing some key minutes uh, over the last couple of years where Chris Paul just kind of extracts maximum value from a guy like Bismack, Biombo, or even JaVale McGee and some other guys who have played that role um I think they needed to keep him from an asset standpoint you know in terms of trades down the road um so So I was glad that they, I guess, eventually, you know, shelled out the money to kind of, you know, keep themselves positioned. And it's a good sign that Robert Sarver actually wanted to to spend some money. But I think to me that the Phoenix Suns come and go by how Chris Paul plays. And, you know, he couldn't make it through the second round this year. And that's one year after he couldn't make it through the entire finals, um, you know, at an elite level. And I just feel like he's kind of creeping back to earth a little bit, a little bit like LeBron, where time scoring some points on him. And I think that Phoenix could be a, you know, another, solid regular season is in their uh you know is in their future they kept basically everybody very little bit uh, very little lineup turnover and, and rotation turnover but I don't personally view them as like a you know a tier one title contender uh, because I just don't think that Chris Paul can hold up for four playoff rounds anymore so I think I like I see
0: like I think see what you're saying I really think the most important player for them is Mikhail Bridges I think as much of anything else and yes what you said about about you know Uh, Paul, like, you know, wondering if he can make it through a full playoff run. I think we've sort of, uh, to a little extent, I think we saw Dallas figure out, hey, these guys have two people who can create anything with the ball in their hands, let's pressure them and dare anybody else to make plays with the ball. Uh, And, you know, Aiton, uh, I think, you know, his certainly the level of force with which he plays with comes and goes. And the fact that Dallas felt uh, comfortable playing, like downsizing as much as they did is sort of an indictment of how non feared he is in terms of his ability to punish Smaller players like uh, um, I I think the way I've I've put it before is like he can hurt you in those situations, but he can't beat you. And and because, oh, well, I've got a small guy in me, I'll just turn and shoot over him. And like, that's fine. It, It creates some high, high efficiency shots, but it doesn't create, you know, the kind of defensive movement that allows Bridges and Jay Crowder and whoever else to get the shots they want. So the point, I guess the point I'm trying to make about Bridges is uh, they, without any sort of external ads of someone who could conceivably be, be in a closing lineup. He's the guy who has, you know, he showed it a little bit last year, but he needs to take a step forward as a, I guess, a tertiary playmaker, a guy who, who could maybe run a second side pick and roll, a guy who can break someone down off a closeout um, just a little bit more to give them a little bit more variety to um, an offensive attack that maybe get has gotten a little bit figured out uh, in first in the finals two years ago and then uh, in, in, in the second round last year
2: totally do you think he can do that though I just don't think he's that type of player
0: I mean he's I'm I you know I kind of have to tap out on this just because like I Mikael Bridges is one of my favorite my, my absolute favorite players in the league so of sure. course he can but,
2: <laughs> but but if but you know there's I, I there's, like him too I just yeah. I'm not sure like that's like you know yeah. I would like I would like them to experiment with that I just don't know if he's kind of yeah. wired like that you
1: know what I mean well, well yeah. here's my here's my answer we'll know by Thanksgiving if there if there's something different there
2: yeah,
0: yeah. I mean th- th- there's a reason why like you know there's there's, a, there's sort of a, when I do the tiers project, there's sort of a hard line between like the elite role players in tier four, and then the guys who kind of have a little bit more with the ball in their hands who can kind of move into that sort of top forty five, top fifty in the league range of of tier three. And like you know, Bridges, uh, Andrew Wiggins, like another guy, are, are guys who are kind of on one side of that line because we like we've seen what it ha- It looks like when Wiggins has the ball in his hands, and it's not always pretty. Um, we. We've never really seen Bridges try to take that role on, and I think that they have to at least experiment with it because I think without that, they don't have the upside to be to be you know as threatening. Maybe they might take over like the the Utah Jazz Memorial regular season team mantle,
1: right? And um, and that's something I wanted to talk about when with Seth. I, I think Seth's point is and yours, Ben, they're completely well taken, but it might have a little bit too well too much is is weird to say because they were the league's best regular season team last year. Too much focus on the 16 game part not the 82 like i think that the flaws that the suns brought to the forefront are jazz-esque in the sense that regular season teams aren't going to capitalize on it too much a they don't have the personnel and they don't have the scheme and the timing and all that all those sorts of things some do but usually you don't and so that could lead to them uh, I, I already talked about this with somebody i don't care if this was on something that will air but about like how I feel like the Suns are going to have a really good regular season and no one's going to believe in them. And yep. that's fine. You know that it happens and sometimes teams can defy that they often don't I mean I've had ja- I had jazz fans in my mentions I I guess I'm a little bit sad that that's gone now of jazz fans getting chesty <laughs> in my mentions when I didn't believe in them as a playoff team and then disappearing whenever that ended up not happening and I mean,
0: it's on some level that's a compliment though like your
2: team is good enough that we don't care about the regular season
1: right it is it's a it's a step well, in the it's process a Backhanded compliment
2: though because you're taking so much joy in watching their playoff you know their playoff face plans you know well
1: I, I would in all these cases including sons I would love to see them defy it I'd love I want to see everyone succeed but there is some satisfaction in being right when that happens as as
0: Rudy Gobert's foremost defender I have taken no joy from from Jazz playoff face plants over the
2: years (laughs) yeah well I would say this on the the Suns kind of heading into next year's playoffs I mean the last couple years in the playoffs especially when they went to the finals they were the matchup nightmare for a lot of teams right because of Chris Paul's savvy and just the way that they had such great interplay between their two guards Um, I mean they made life miserable for Gobert they made life miserable for Jokic and, and they were enter those series kind of as the favorite matchup I mean in terms of matchup with Golden State or the Clippers I think they lose those uh, potential matchups the young athletic teams I think Minnesota Memphis those kinds of teams uh, I would be nervous if I was a Suns fan even though they have their own guys like Bridges and Booker and, and Ayton. Um, you know those kinds of teams potentially overpowering outlasting making Chris Paul work in a playoff matchup maybe in a ways they couldn't have a couple of years ago um, I'd be nervous in those kinds of spots you know heading into those series and I could easily see Phoenix going out in round one this year um, just based on the depth of the Western Conference depending on where their seeding lands
0: I think more pertinently isn't isn't necessarily athleticism I think I think you're sort of looking at the, the their playoff success has come against teams that don't have point of attack defenders yeah like with the, the the injuries that, that denver had in the backcourt and I mean I think we've we, we've seen over the last two years I think Dallas showed us last year how how paltry like the resistance was at the point of attack
1: well and 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 look at how much the point of attack defenders for New Orleans caused problems for the exactly Suns. exactly like New Orleans was you know they were an intriguing team but part of what made them work against the Suns was that they could make life difficult and the other, so, but all of that said, like, the Suns last year led the league in clean the glass debt rating, plus 8.5, Celtics were next closest at plus 7.4, and they had a lot of absences, you know, Eaton was out for roughly 25 games, Paul little under twenty. Booker was like fifteen or so. And like they were still the league's best regular season team. So like I think it's going to be that story, which is super awkward. And we could see other teams firmly in the mix. Like I think the top of the West in is in terms of team quality records they'll be a little bit more nebulous just because The Clippers and probably the Warriors, and maybe a couple of these other teams, are going to be judicious with how much they play their guys in terms of games and minutes played. But it'll be, I I think they'll be in that mix, and then there'll be the fun of us just not believing in them. Really at all? I want to mention briefly. I wish I wish they were a little bit bigger, but uh, in terms of size, just have more forward options. But I liked Josh Akogi and Damian Lee for the minimum guys that could potentially be in the rotation. Can that can't shoulder the playmaking load, but can do some play finishing and some defending, and that's all right.
0: I would have uh, a Kogi. I I, I I kind of like. I don't totally see the point of adding Lee. To be honest, I mean, I think you know that that uh, you know someone with with. You know, even I almost someone like an Ish Smith, someone just with a little bit of like a change of pace and and some creation, I think would have possibly would have served them better. But that's I, I feel like if we're if we're critiquing like you know the the minimum pickup mm. of of a of a of a veteran, then it's we're we're maybe picking nits. Yeah. But again, <laughs> we're we're discussing them against the, the lens of a team that thinks that that, that has championship aspirations, and and in, at that in that point, you you pick
2: nits. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I guess... I would kind of frame it this way is like I was so excited at the, the idea for them of like going to chase Kevin Durant and just saying look like we have to just throw everything into this summer let's figure out a way to do a sign and trade with uh, Aiden I mean whatever it was and when that didn't happen there was going to be an obvious like natural like kind of a letdown feeling but I didn't feel like any of their other moves moved the needle really in any way I just kind of felt like they're just trying to run it back and maybe they're counting down to a potential Aiden trade you know once he's eligible sometime mid-season but uh, I thought this was a team that needed to kind of get radical to avoid the backsliding that the, the Utah Jazz faced last season, and I I just worry about them. There's something in there. It's like, I, I don't think you can just run out the same play over and over again. There was some personality conflicts during the playoffs. Obviously, that a ridiculous meltdown against Dallas in the last couple uh, games of, of that series. I just worry, uh, you know, they needed to do something a little bit bigger and bolder, and, and uh, KD would have been like the lifeline type move. Of course, it doesn't doesn't happen. And I just kind of think they're living on borrowed time a little bit.
1: Sure, and that's another reason why the Bridges' offensive development is so important is that they don't have an heir apparent eventually to anything that Chris Paul does. And Devin Booker's improved dramatically, but they you need a secondary, you need a second playmaker, even if Devin Booker's the guy. And that, if that would be Mikhail Bridges, it'd be fantastic. If it's going to have to be somebody else, then that's a lot to ask. And they don't really have a ton in the way of resources to make those additions. The other just quick note with the Suns is I have this. Fear that they're going to make a move to save money that is going to make their team worse. Whether that is moving <laughs> Crowder Dario Sharich, somebody like that. And you know, I I thought Sharich two years ago was a really valued part of this team. They they exceeded my expectations defensively in the Sharich at center minutes, and I'd love to see more of it. They were also. The charge at centerman is when he, especially when Chris Paul was out there, were some of the best aesthetic basketball that I watched that entire twenty twenty slash twenty one season. So, I, for selfish reasons, I'd love to see it back.
2: I think your hunch is correct. I anticipate kind of a similar thing and um i think they can probably get away with trading sarge but what do they look like if they don't have jay crowder like (laughs) what how is that spot getting filled you know it's like we have to clone bridges so that seth can be happy and have two of his favorite players like i mean at some point you've got some holes there that are going to get kind of weird like i like cameron johnson in the role that he's had i don't like him in some massive you know expanded role where you've got to play him all this all these huge minutes i don't know about that it's amazing how
0: like Again, I know we, we've, we've, we've commented on this already, but we're just sort of the team that was, you know, unquestionably the best team up until they weren't
2: <laughs> <You> know, <laughs> last year. That is like, eh, yeah, whatever. Yeah. Well, did you buy? Did you buy into them going into the, the playoffs? Because I don't know, I picked the winners to pick- come out of the West. I felt pretty good about that, but I didn't think Phoenix was going to be able to do it. This the, I the picked. Past
0: year. I, I picked them to win the title heading into the playoffs last Ooh, year. Wow. Yeah, I thought it was yeah. going to be. A, I thought it was going to be a finals rematch, and I thought they were going to.
2: They were going to win it. Yeah. It's a lot of faith in Chris. I mean, do you feel like your your faith in Chris has been shaken for good after that second round series? I don't know. Um, it's it,
0: there's a little of it's. I mean, and this is very a very Suns thing. It seems like there's a little bit of a of a playoff snakebittenness to his career that that is that is like how much of it is him and how much of it is, is happenstance. You know, the, like the the, the Suns sort of had this this like oh what, what's going to happen this time in the seven seconds or less era, and it sort of feels like moving across basically four franchises chris Paul's had the same thing
2: yeah and i just think he's older I mean he was i mean i think he was just a better player even uh you know 2020 2021 than he was this past season like I felt like it was fairly noticeable especially in like the big moments high leverage moments i mean he looked great closing out the pelicans uh, no doubt I mean didn't miss a shot in that one game and but he was also like at times struggling to get the ball up the court looking like he was tired kind of fatiguing a little bit and, you know, not necessarily getting to his spots as easily as he did the previous couple years, um, I just, to me, it's not an anomaly. I just think he's coming back to Earth and as he comes back to Earth, so do the Suns. And I think that, there, I think this gets
0: back to the point where they are schemable. Sure. In that, like, the Pelicans kind of did them a favor by doing a lot of, giving up a lot of switches and then, oh, well, it's Brennan Ingram. Let me get to my spot and shoot a and shoot like that leaning fade away. Whereas when teams were like, nope, nope, Dorian Finney-Smith's going to be on you and he's going to, and we're going to, you know, we're going to jump all over the screen, but Dorian Finney-Smith's still going to be on you. So you've got a guy with size and who can move guarding you at all times. Um, the, the lack of bursts that, you know, isn't surprising from a late thirties point guard Um, suddenly becomes a big issue.
1: One of the other questions in the offseason part of this is the rookie you're most excited to see. I think that's Keegan Murray pretty obviously in this division, partially because none of the other teams had significant draft equity. We've already talked about him a little bit. Seth's idea that rookies are rarely positive contributors, which I agree with. But so if we want to talk about Murray, we can. But instead, I'll expand it to other rookies in this division that you're excited to see whether they were drafted high or not. Well, who are they, Danny? <laughs> well, so for like, me, for me, the one that Max Christie
2: is the hey. only other guy who.
1: Christy, Christy might be in the Lakers rotation in part because I have no idea who the hell is going to be in the Lakers rotation. And then another one for me is Patrick Baldwin Jr. Like there's there's a an arc that I appreciate of high-end high school player where something goes wrong and then they get into the NBA and you're just kind of see whether it was the something wrong was real or the high school stuff was real. And so like, for example, Ty Ty, Ty, Ty Washington wasn't, as I recall, as high a prospect as Patrick Baldwin. Baldwin had like this, you know, season from hell, mostly health wise, playing for his dad. Yeah. So and we call, this
2: the, we call this the Scalabissier, right?
1: Sure, exactly. And so, like, a lot of times those players, you know, like. Danny's favorite player, Scalabissier. <laughs> I know. My, my heart dropped a little bit when you mentioned it, even though it was correct. Um, well, and, this
2: is why you love this, though,
1: right? I mean, yeah, it is. It, it's a big part of it. And so, I, so with those players, can they hash out some of that and Baldwin being on the Warriors is fortunate because he'll have all the time in the world to, to make a recovery and Ryan Rollins as well coming out of Toledo with that stress fracture that they identified after he was drafted. Like if those guys can play, maybe they'll get into something, but if not, then they then there'll be more Santa Cruz time, presumably for them. So I I, I with Baldwin I, I try and remember. I don't think I've ever seen him in person. In non COVID world, I probably would have with the TBOSA stuff I go to and everything else like that. But, you know, I want to see how those how those kind of guys work out. Diabate on the Clippers probably is going to play a lot. Uh, I wouldn't expect him to. Christie might be in the rotation. We don't really know necessarily how that's going to work out. And then the Suns had no picks, and we already talked. And Keegan Murray, like, what, they it, scouted the draft so hard, so hard, so hard.
2: Um, with with, uh, well, Geek, with Bate, I, I saw him at a community uh, relations event here in L.A. I was impressed by his size, man. Like yep. you know, he he can move he definitely. Dudes. Yeah, he he looks like you know, he, if you're just doing like the absolute gut check of like, is this guy an NBA player? Like he looks like it, just like a first glance. We'll see what he can do. Uh, but he's also like right on brand for the Clippers type, too. Right?
1: Oh yeah. And so, yeah, and with Keegan Murray, what excites me about him potentially is that he did a lot of the kind of glue guy stuff that NBA teams need, which is unusual for a rookie. Helps that he's a little bit older, and his jump shot looked better in Summer League than it even did when he was at Iowa. So that's very encouraging. We'll have to see. Yeah,
2: I mean— I. I mean, it's a classic debate about okay. Well, do you take the guy who's a little bit older, a little bit more polished? who's going to be able to fit in, but doesn't have the ceiling, or do you go a different direction with that pick? I totally understand the arguments for Ivy, or like just to you know take somebody else in that spot. But I think in terms of like short term fit, like you know it's 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 set up pretty nicely for him. Like he's going to probably be what like a fourth option maybe uh, for them, fifth option. Um, I do think uh, you know his three point shooting in summer league was impressive. I mean he did it consistently, basically across like eight or nine games between the various events. I like that he wanted to play every single night and kind of prove stuff to people. Uh, You know, try to make a name for himself. I I thought that was um, you know rare among high level rookies these days, where everybody just wants to play two games and shut down and he seems like a really smart really savvy guy um of course there's going to be a big time uh you know adjustment defensively in terms of he's going to have to find his position uh he's going to be dealing with a lot of high level athletes and and players who could do you know much more varied stuff than he had to deal with at the college level so i'm sure there's going to be some growing pains but i think it's just you know set up pretty cleanly for him from a positional standpoint in terms of what they want from him to do year one I, i mean i feel like this question is just keegan murray than everybody else for this division, right?
0: Yeah, I think that's right. Um, I mean, if we wanted to expand it, and we could start to look at some other young players, then we, you know, then we start just you, you can bring in like like you know Boston or or Amir Coffee or something like that. But but yeah, I think if from from just the standpoint of, of rookies, it's like you know I, I think we've identified the two who are likely to get any real playing time are murray and, and Christie.
1: yeah i think th- i think that's correct seth i i, I don't know if you ever did a formalized board i mean we talked about the draft a fair amount but if knowing like did you did you have a strong opinion on who the king should have taken it for
0: yes they should have taken Jaden ivy <laughs> <laughs> like it's um i i like oh well, i'll say this i think i um if there was any sort of positional reason why you took murray over ivy that's really bad if your evaluation was was just no i think we think keegan murray's gonna be better better at basketball full stop okay like i don't agree but i I, that, I can at least understand that if it's like well we've got davian mitchell and jaron fox so we can't take the best athlete in the draft um but that that is that's bad
2: so my my thing with the uh, kings real quick i think it's not that they fall victim to uh not taking best player available i think that their problem is they take best player who will return our calls and i think so many years the guys are just like do not draft me they you know they do whatever they can to kind of avoid you know giving their medical info to sacramento you know just like being as difficult as possible and it puts kings in a tough spot where it's like do we take a quote-unquote risk on this guy you know trying to blow us up like steve francis back in the day uh you know like you know trying to really make things awkward or do we somehow get bit because we didn't know that he had some injury issue that we didn't have a chance to evaluate and they wind up just kind of going with the guy and sort of like uh, the bagley scenario a few years ago like going with the guy who actually seems like he wants to play for you and that will continue to bite you over and over again i don't know how you get out of that uh, that hole other than taking some risks on guys who don't want to play for you even if they don't want to play for
0: you just draft them and then like what could they, what could they have gotten from the knicks have they just right, yeah. Announced or, Ivy? I mean,
1: and and a prominent one for me with that, not that he ended up fighting it too hard. Stephen Curry did not want to go to the Warriors, <laughs> the Warriors took him, worked, <laughs> worked out okay, right? <laughs> worked, worked out pretty well. But, uh, but what Seth, what you were saying with Ivy, there's a, a a fun parallel from a half decade ago where the Sacramento Kings benefited from that decision making. We're not saying the Kings did that, but they benefited from it when. De'Aaron Fox fell to them. The Suns had a lot of point guards, and we don't know if the Suns thought De'Aaron Fox was better than Josh Jackson. He ended up being that, obviously. But it would be weird if in the 4-5 spot five years later, the Kings made the mistake they benefited from previously. But let's move on to to kind of the season preview part of this. Uh, We can start with Seth. You can use whatever criteria you want. Just lay out to listeners what it is. Rank the Pacific Division teams 1 to 5.
0: Um, I mean, I think that I think for reasons we've talked about already, I think the likely order of finish is is a little bit different than the sort of order of playoff feistiness. Uh, in particular, I think the fact that, you know, Hawaii is going to play 60 games. Um, it means so, that the sun, the Suns have it have probably have a regular season edge. So, but, so do you want
1: to do it? Do you want? Does, is it more fun then for you to do realistic best case scenario, like realistic peak?
0: Yeah, realistic peak. Um, I mean, I think I think that the the Clippers have you know things go right, the Clippers will be the best team in the league. Um, so that's so they're, they're one. I think uh, Golden State might not have the same peak, but I think they're median. I don't well because they're so they're so dependent on on you know on Draymond staying at a certain level that you know you for a player who is who you know missed half the season last year with injury and isn't getting any younger and had some foibles in the finals like you are worried about that so but I would still have them comfortably second and probably on the same sort of tier line the same you know NCAA seed line basically as uh, as the Clippers um, and then you know. The Suns, maybe a, a slight step back, and then Lakers and Kings are sort of, who cares?
2: Yeah, I mean, Danny, I did mine based on who I thought, you know, title odds, basically, who could actually go through, win the whole thing. I went one Warriors, two Clippers, three Suns, four Lakers, five Kings. I flirted with Kings over Lakers, actually more than flirted. Um you know, given that it's title odds, it doesn't really matter because I don't see either one of those teams being part of the real playoffs, you know, with the top eight. Um, but, I, you know, I I understand where the flaws are in Golden State's roster. But, you know, if I'm looking ahead to next year's playoffs and I have to take a team with Steph or a team with Kawhi, I'm just naturally going to trust the team with Steph more based on the fact that Kawhi, we don't know how many regular season games he's going to play, but he's also had some injuries in the playoffs, um, you know, over the years, even going back to the San Antonio time where, Is he going to hold up? That just makes me a little bit nervous. Now, he escaped in 2019 with that title um, and was able to hold up just well enough to get it done. But it did seem like even in that run, he was starting to get um, impacted at least a little bit. And I just don't think the Clippers deserve to really even be in this conversation without Kawhi. So uh, I'm hedging against Kawhi and putting the Clippers second and the Warriors first.
1: I'm in a similar boat to all of you guys, but I thought this was an interesting stat. I'm not saying it's... Definitive or, or anything necessarily. So last year, the Warriors with Curry and they dealt with injuries. You know, they never had their three best players. They played what was it, eleven oh, like eleven minutes together. Well, last season, but the Warriors had a plus ten point six clean the glass net rating when Curry was on the floor last year. And then if you go back to like the last Durant year, that was plus fourteen point three. The last two years, Kawhi Leonard was healthy and won the Clippers plus eleven point six and plus twelve point seven when he's been on the four. And so, like, and he's going to be on the four less presumably than Steph Curry. Be hopefully, hopefully that, that's not the case. Not because Kawhi's out a lot, but because Steph is going to play more when they're both healthy. It's just the way they're going to manage this. So, but in terms of the absolute ceiling, part of what I love about the Clippers is just they have a lot of options, and I think Tyloo's a really good coach. I think some teams you would want a set closing five because. Then it, you know, you just said it and forget it. But I think Ty Lue can push the right buttons. I believe in him to do that, and th- there aren't that many coaches where I actually would say that. And they also, uh, Andrew Wiggins did very well last year in the playoffs. But Kawhi Leonard, Paul George, especially Kawhi, is just a different kind of beast. And I,
0: uh, yeah, and I, I think we forget how good he was. Before he hurt his knee in the playoffs two years ago. Yeah, I
1: mean that series that he had, especially the closing kick to that series against the Mavericks. Series two against them was some of the best basketball I've seen anyone play in my entire media career.
0: And I unfortunately got a very close look at, at you know how much of a one man destructive destructive force he could be during that that uh, that, that title run in 2019. And so he's yeah, there's there's obviously a year and a half and and an intervening ACL injury there, but I mean. If we're talking if again, if we're talking about peak, which means we get like the the, the Dal the Dallas and up up until he runs into Joe Ingles, uh uh Utah series version of Kawhi, like that's that's on the very short list of best playoff players in the planet.
2: Yeah, I mean, I'm a little bit more skeptical on Kawhi. Um, Luka almost knocked him out in that series. Look, Kawhi was phenomenal, but Luka had him on the ropes Um, and Luka's still around and still a problem for teams. I don't know. I think think because I've had to watch the Clippers without Kawhi so many times (laughs) over the last two to three years, it's just sort of like Kawhi is more myth than man for me right now, and that will certainly change after like five games when Kawhi's back in your like oh my god this guy can still shoot like 97 percent on mid-range jumpers and nobody can guard him and it'll be like oh come fleshing back for me um,
1: well seth I, I seth on that point story. sorry sorry ben on that point Kawhi, you know like so something you and i've talked about a lot over the years is like we also have to remember the passage of time since the last time you he healthy quiet is already 30 they will be 31 now how do you think about like 29 and a half to 31 it, should we be should we expect an age-related regression independent of the injury that's a
0: that's a it's a good question. Um, I think in his case, there would be the you know the the causes for optimism would be that his sort of what is the basis for his kind of dominance isn't isn't necessarily quick twitch. So like you know the, the the sort of casual strength that he has which is such a big part of his effectiveness that doesn't seem like that's something that's going to fade just because he just because he turned 30 like he it's been it's it's been how long since you know he came into the league as 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 you know you know as something of a, of a more athletic marvel but I think he hasn't been that for a number of years and sort of his ability to play at a measured pace because he's so damn strong that he can get to wherever he wants to in Time he wants to. Um, it doesn't seem like that's something that is, you know, going to fade. I mean, I think the. Not to make a direct comparison between the players, but I think we've seen to some degree, like, how well that kind of baseline of strength has served LeBron as he's, you know, defied, up until very recently, defied any sort of conventions of aging.
2: Yeah, I mean, he's really crafty at drawing fouls. You know, he doesn't have to, like, put his head down and attack the rim super hard to get to the free throw line. Like, he can do pump fakes and, and kind of draw fouls that way. I think also defensively, like, his peak impact on ball and off ball in the playoff series you guys were describing, you know, the run in 2021 20, uh, um, it was there like he w- you know it wasn't that he was like shadowing the best player for 48 uh, minutes every single night sort of like he, you know did with LeBron back uh, in the Spurs heat rivals but when he needed to crank it up and reach six gear defensively like he certainly was able to like have a big impact on that side too to me the concern is just like all right well it's great that he's had all this time off to kind of come into the season fresh and looking like this Terminator type guy but can he sustain it across seven months and then also when he's playing full bore in the playoffs, can he sustain it across two months there? I just get a little bit nervous and a little bit uh, twitchy on that stuff.
1: I I don't think, especially considering how much we've talked about this already, that this question is going to be too hard. We could start with Ben. How many teams from this division make the final eight? So meaning the best of the the eight teams that make the best of seven?
2: Three, uh, Warriors, Clippers, and Suns. And I think even in a scenario where like Kawhi or Paul George was going to miss a bunch of time during the regular season, I think as long as you've got one of those guys, they're in comfortably. You know they didn't make it last year without Kawhi for the whole time because when they did lose Paul, they were you know they just were not the same team without both of them. But I think um, they've got enough enough depth now to survive. You know even a not quite like a half nightmare scenario. I think mean, they'd still be able to survive there. And I do think the Suns are coming back to earth, but they're not coming that far back to earth. And I think the Warriors are in basically no matter what. So I think it's a pretty clean three, and I don't really see a scenario where Sacramento or the Lakers can sneak in.
0: I, I mean, if the. Lakers- Lakers traded Westbrook for Kyrie. Do they sneak into the playoffs? Eh, probably. Um, but other than that, like it's, I, I would basically agree with everything Ben said.
1: I'm trying to debate. So I think three is the most likely number. I'm debating whether four is more likely than two. Just the idea of do the Ooh. Lakers get good enough to get in? Because, I, I mean, the, of the three, the Clippers are probably the most likely to fall out just because... A, they've done it in the recent past, and like, if it wouldn't take too much for them to have it. Also, honestly, it wouldn't take that much for the Warriors of Curry. If Curry misses thirty more, more games, they will have a problem there. Um, Correct.
0: Yeah. So yeah, there's sure. we're, we're we're Chris Paul or uh, or Steph Curry ankle ankle roll. So away so, are, from, so then from are we
1: are, are we saying two is more likely than four? Then we don't have to have a consensus on this.
2: I I, I, I
1: would lean that
2: way. Yes. I think so, too. Um, I mean, the Kyrie trade thing is interesting because, you know, they get they get more potent on offense. Um, they probably have better chemistry than they would with Westbrook. And also, so, how
1: amazing is that, by the way?
2: Oh, I know. It's it's great. Um, it's hilarious. And I've actually liked your guys' optimism about the Lakers on this podcast relative to where I've been, uh, you know, just grinding my gears over the last 12 months has been very restorative for me. So I appreciate it. Um, but I think your point on Curry going down for 30 games is spot on. Aren't they right back to where they were two seasons ago as a playing team that didn't get in if they have to sustain a long absence for Curry next season? Um, I think that's pretty
1: fair. Last question. We could start with Seth here. Um, players in this Pacific division, and this is hard because of how established a lot of these teams and players are. That will break out, and by that I don't mean become new stars, because that doesn't happen commonly enough. I mean players that we will be talking about meaningfully differently in a positive way 12 months from now than we are at this moment.
0: Oof. If I was more sanguine about where the Kings were going, I'd say Demonis Sabonis, who I think is has probably gotten short shrift in terms of—I uh, don't, I don't know, does one of us podcast with someone who calls him the worst all-star ever— <laughs> um, yeah,
1: one of, <laughs> one of us does, Oh, shit. Uh,
0: um, Jamal Baglore is offended by that, but, um, um, that's, that's one. I mean, I think that, you know, you know, McHale bridges is, you know, uh, of course I'm going to say that, um, maybe you can, you can, is there a scenario where an Austin Reeves or a Taylor Horton Tucker establishes themselves and it won't take much for establishing for, at least from a narrative standpoint, for someone on the Lakers to be talked about in a whole new way. So like I guess the Malik the,
2: the Mong Malik effect from last year is what you're yeah, describing.
0: The, the prestige zone is sort of, well, yeah.
2: <laughs> yeah.
1: What about John
2: Wall from the Clippers? I mean, oh, that's, that's, really a, that's, a that's a good one.
1: It's a great one. It's
2: been talked about for a couple of years. I could also see him and Reggie really butting heads. I think John's going to have a hard time here wrapping his mind around the fact that, you know, there were reasons for him getting snubbed. I think when you get kind of t- sent home and all that, it's easy to just make that out as like a Rockets organization is bad. It's all their fault. I can still play. And I thought he was pretty rough when he did play for the Rockets. Uh, you know, defensively wasn't great, a lot of turnover issues. Um, you know, shooting's always kind of been a problem for him. He needs to just kind of come back with a different mentality that he's not an all-star level player and find ways to fit in. I don't think he's quite as stubborn or as inflexible as a guy like Westbrook, but I think he's got a little bit of that to his game um, and, and to his personality and I just hope that he fits in uh, the right way with the Clippers dynamic because I think it could really work out well for both sides. I think it could also not work at all, but given where the baseline is, I think John Wall's a candidate here.
1: Yeah, no team betrays me quite like the Clippers do, but there is this, I've had this idea that in late late October, John Wall's going to have some big game, we're going to be like oh, like regarding the Clippers overall, happy learned how to putt, and just like, because the Clippers <laughs> they're, they don't have enough kind of passing and fluidity, Batum helps that, they have, a lot of, they have guys that can be connectors as a part of it, that if somebody can break the seal a little bit more often, I think a lot of it will look better, especially in the regular season get into all that type of stuff and that would be very exciting for them. And also wall to me, like it's, he is a higher ceiling, lower floor commodity than Reggie Jackson. And I think the Clippers could use some of that higher ceiling. Like, and if it doesn't work out, they got a team option on that second year. I, you know, I, I'm sure wall would not be thrilled if they like move him somewhere else. But if you know, like he, he has motivation to try to make it work because this is his best shot. And I think that's a, a distinct possibility. The, the, like We could see some of those Clippers guys get kind of new life just by virtue of being in a good ecosystem again, like Norm Powell. I mean, Norm Powell was a valued player on the 2019 Raptors, and he's in a more similar situation to that now than he has been before. And another couple guys that I want to mention... We each have skepticism on Cam Johnson and like whether he's a starting caliber player, especially I've been really disheartened by his defense the last couple of years. But if he takes a modest step forward, like just having having a good forward could help things out. And we don't know what Jay Crowder's, you know, kind of shelf life stuff is moving forward. So I want to mention him as a possibility. And then. Seth brought him up before, but in this context, I think it's potentially relevant. Dante DiVincenzo, if he can deliver on even a portion, like let's say 75% to 85% of what he was on that Bucks team before his injury, like well, he was a starter on a team that eventually won the championship. And if DiVincenzo does that, it's probably not going to be for the Warriors in 23-24, but it's going to be for someone else and he could potentially like him taking a step forward i actually think is kind of a more reasonable way for the warriors to really shift their ceiling than anyone other than kuminga because moody kind of like the best things he does is fit in whereas like kuminga it's like yeah if he could figure it out like you've got something there but like with divincenzo he could give them something that they really use
2: well he's a good answer for this question because the bar is set really low right um and i think he's going to be set up for success in terms of he needs to play off the He's going to have a lot of guys he can play off. So I think it's an interesting nomination. What about uh, maybe he's overqualified here, but I know uh, Seth mentioned DeMontis earlier. What about Fox? Like I kind of just soured on Darren Fox last year. You know, he came through L.A. and had a couple of games where I was just kind of like, this guy seems completely checked out. He seems prepared for another coaching change. Uh, He just doesn't really seem like he's bought in anymore. Like maybe the King's atmosphere has gotten to him in like maybe a milder and politer way that it, it got to DeMarcus cousins years ago um is there any chance for like a fox reclamation project all-star season bounce back or is that impossible
0: i think that falls into the same sort of like you know i could have easily said everything i said about uh um uh, sabonis about fox aside from nate saying he's the worst all-star ever which i nate, I don't think nate has said because
2: that would be factually incorrect so the goal for fox then should be to become the worst all-star
1: the, the worst all-star ever. <laughs> yeah, i think that's yeah that's well and that's, and, that's, that's and the high bar right? on a kind of a a related note, the last guy that I wanted to mention is Davion Mitchell. And Mitchell showed me more on ball, kind of the middle of the late part of last year as the Kings were not necessarily the same team, but that's encouraging. You know, I'm not saying he's going to be like a kind of the Anthony Simons level, but it was another player. Simons did that a couple of years ago, where it's like things were going wrong, but they showed me some signs that could potentially be signal moving forward. And I don't know how in the world Money McNair and the Kings are going to manage, like how they're going to put this together, short term, long term. But the more Mitchell shows, the easier it is to kind of make some of these things work. And having Sabonis as a hub, as a cog could lead some of these players into a different level of success.
2: I feel like Mike Brown signed up for one of the toughest jobs of the entire league, you know? There's so many weird things to balance there. And then in the back of your mind, you're like, well, we got Davion to play D, and he might have to play defense for the entire team, you know? <laughs> I mean, if we're talking about rough, tough coaching assignments, I mean, I
0: think we're kind of skipping over the... We're bearing the lead a little bit in terms of California teams, aren't we? Darvin? Is this a Darvin? Yeah, point? yeah. Oh, yeah. I, I, you know, I... I should probably, I mean, I should, uh, you know, uh, I, I am, uh, I, I am compromising this. I think, I think tremendously highly of him. And I, I kind of wish he had gotten a different job.
2: Yeah. Well, earlier we were comparing uh, who has the deeper roster and now we can say who has the tougher coaching job between the Kings and the Lakers. It's uh, damning with faint praise or maybe just sad all around.
1: Well, there's no more uplifting note to end this on, but I will thank both of you gentlemen for a very fun podcast. Thanks a lot, Danny. Thanks, Danny. Great chat and take care. Thanks again to Ben Golliver and Seth Partnow for taking the time to come on. You can read Ben Golliver's excellent work at the Washington Post, and you can also buy his book, Bubble Ball. I can't remember. I saw it in a store recently. I was very excited. I think I sent it to Ben. I like to do that with my writer friends, and you should definitely check that out. And of course, you can listen to all of his great audio work, including The Greatest of All Talk with Andrew Sharp. And you can follow him on Twitter at Ben Golliver, B E N G O L L I V E R. And then Seth's excellent work is all over the place as well. He is of course a successful author in his own right the mid-range theory is excellent you can also check out his written work at the athletic he's done some cool stuff at stats bomb as well and i believe the paperback of mid-range theory is coming out soon i wish that existed before i left for europe because i brought the hardcover and it's a little bit heavy but it's worth it and it's such a such a great book so i highly recommend that and if you don't follow seth on twitter at seth and you can listen to nerders he wrote and everything else great that seth is a part of if you want to support the show there are a lot of different ways you 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 can do it. You can subscribe, download every episode in whatever podcast player you choose, Apple, Spotify, really wherever. And if there's somewhere that you want to listen to Real GM Radio and it is not there, let me know that I'm not going to be the one who can fix it, but I can pass along your concern to somebody who has a better chance of fixing it than I do. I do appreciate that. And you can also help other people find the show by leaving a rating or review in that podcast player of your choosing, or word of mouth, tell people wherever, social media, whatever, that they would enjoy this episode or the show more broadly, really do appreciate that. And of course, the single most important thing you can do for Real GM Radio and any other show that has them is to check out our sponsors. For this episode that starts with Athletic Greens, you can go to athleticgreens.com slash realgm. And you get some great products. And beyond that, you get a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. And of course, doing it through that URL tells them that you came from us, and you can check out betonline.ag, use that CLNS50 promo code for a 50% welcome bonus. You can also check out my other work, I am not present on Dung on Prime as much right now because Nate is doing the team previews, though there have been some excellent ones recently, including Caitlin Cooper on the Pacers and Kobe on the Magic, both of which were really, really good, I'm, I'm so happy that he had them on, and... We did a special thing on the Kevin Durant, I guess, D request. I don't exactly know how that's going to be termed. So you can get that there. And then we're also still doing Spotify Live. Almost throughout the off season, we're going to take a little break for when we're both traveling at the same time, but other than that, we're going to keep on doing it. Typically, that is Tuesdays at 3 Pacific, 6 Eastern. We may have a couple that the timing is slightly shifted because that's pretty late here in, in Europe, but we'll, we'll try to keep to that as, as best we can. If you have any feedback on the show, good, bad, or indifferent, DanielRue, NBA at gmail.com is the way to get to me. If you take the time to write it, I will take the time to read it. That is an absolute promise. Not always the greatest at responding, especially when I'm overseas, but I will read it and that's why I consider it feedback. But that is all for now. Thank you so much for listening. Take care and make it a great day.